Before you're seated, let's go ahead and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. We're continuing in the Beatitudes, which is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Once again, we're going to read all the Beatitudes, even though we're going to concentrate on just one of them today. And again, that's so that we can learn to memorize these Beatitudes so we know them by heart. And as you're turning to Matthew chapter 5, will you also in your Bibles just keep the page to Matthew chapter 28 opened as well. We're going to read the, first, or the last three verses of Matthew 28. Just as last time we looked at the second beatitude, blessed are those who mourn, and we considered that beatitude in light of the cross of Christ, today we're going to consider, consider blessed are those who are uh, uh, filled with meekness. Blessed are the meek, and we're going to look at it in light of the resurrection of Jesus. So let's begin chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And now if you look at Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, this is after the resurrection of Jesus. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated. So today we are considering the Beatitude meekness. And we're going to look at it, at least in the beginning, in the light of the resurrection of Jesus. If you'll remember, as we speak about the Beatitudes of the Sermon on the Mount, that picture of a flower that is blossoming. One layer of petals as it opens gives way to another layer of petals. And this blossoming flower is the picture of the Christian life, the, the life of progressing in our faith, progressing in our trust in the Lord Jesus. The first four Beatitudes are about our relationship with Christ. And the second four Beatitudes concern our relationship with the world around us. And so we began a few weeks ago with poor in spirit. That's how we come to the Lord Jesus, poor in spirit. 
knowing that we have nothing within ourselves to save ourselves. No, we need a Savior, and His name is Jesus. And then we looked at, blessed are those who mourn. Mourn over their sin. Mourn over their shortcomings. Blessed are those who mourn because when they do mourn over their sin and they come to God seeking forgiveness, they are comforted by the forgiveness of the Lord. Amen. And so number three today, we come to meekness. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now in all these beatitudes, especially now, these beatitudes don't just, you don't just wake up one morning and say, oh, now I've got meekness. Oh, now I'm pure in heart. It doesn't work like that. It works as a process. Again, that blossoming flower. It's the process of the Christian life. Last week, Pastor Sifera spoke about the processing that the Lord brings into our life, the refining, the purification. And it's a lifelong process. God's not finished until we are done on this earth and then see Him face to face. Likewise with meekness. It comes as we grow in our relationship with Christ. Now, for the Christian, meekness begins right here in Matthew chapter 28, those verses that we read of Jesus. And I might be stuck on the slides there. There we go. Meekness for us begins here. Jesus said, all authority, say that, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And when we come to understand what this means, this will lead to a life of meekness. The resurrection of Jesus, it not only points to the fact that Jesus is the victorious strong Son of God. And not only points to the fact that His sacrifice served as the perfect substitution for you and for me. Amen. But also, it points to the fact that Jesus has all authority, both in heaven and on earth. Now we picture Him today, rightfully so, that he's sitting on the throne that is in heaven. And as we picture that, we, we picture him ruling over all that occurs in heaven. But we must never, ever forget that he is also over all things that happen on the earth. Do you think Jesus was unaware of the coronavirus of 2020? Do you think that came by a surprise to Jesus? No way. Jesus is in charge, and He rules over all things that happen on the earth. And even more personal than that, He rules over you. He rules over your family. He rules over that place where you go to work day after day. He rules over our city and over our nation, and yes, over the entire globe. This is why we call Jesus Lord.
because he is over all things and he is worthy to be worshiped by all creation all authority is mine in heaven and on earth then he says go therefore because all authority is mine go therefore and you are to make disciples of all nations the one who died for all the world commands us to go to all the nations preaching the everlasting gospel of Jesus baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and then he says we are to teach them everything that the Lord has commanded us and he gives a wonderful promise and lo I am with you always even to the end of the age if the Lord is with us always does that not mean he is alive today amen our Savior is the living Lord praise God and so we are to take this message as we are commanded by the Lord who rules over us and he gives us the command to take this message to all the world and our message to the world is that Jesus died for sinners that he was raised from the dead on the third day and he is Lord amen he is Lord but you know even as we share that gospel message we do it because the Lord has commanded us to do so but even when we do that Peter tells us the kind of attitude we should have when we are going to present the gospel to people and when we are going to defend the gospel to people watch what Peter says in 1st Peter 3 15 he says but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts now there's another Greek way of saying that another way that it can be written and that is sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts then always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you and when you do that do it with what meekness and in fear so Jesus says when you go first before you speak and open your mouth to someone first ensure that you have sanctified you have set Christ apart as your Lord he is your Lord and God Jesus didn't say before you tell people about me go to a Bible college and learn from a seminary he didn't say not only read the Bible but get some books at the library that teach you how to evangelize I'm sure all those things are good but the one thing that we need more than all is to make sure that we have set Christ as Lord of our lives then we go and when we present the gospel we are to do it with meekness and so in this verse there's a connection between Christ as Lord of your life and meekness and so today that's how we're going to begin and we're going to look at two questions today concerning meekness as we did with 
the poor in spirit. And as we did with those who mourn, today, when it concerns meekness, the two questions we're going to ask today is, number one, who are the meek? Number two, why are they blessed? You ready? All right, so number one, who are the meek? He says in verse 5 of chapter 5, this is the third part of the Beatitudes, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So here's something we should consider. What is meekness? What does that word even mean? In the Greek, it's the word praos. Well, okay, great. What does that mean? It means very simply humility. The word meekness is often used as the word gentleness in the Bible. The same Greek word praos, but sometimes it's written as meekness, sometimes gentleness. So meekness is humility. It is gentleness. Meekness is having a submissive attitude, willing to humble yourself. Meekness describes someone whose will has been broken. Do you know what that means? Someone's will has been broken. Now before we get into that, when it comes to being broken, that's not a bad thing actually in the Christian life. It actually leads to many blessed things in life when you are broken before God. It doesn't mean that God's going to break your heart. It's not gonna, it doesn't mean He's going to make you upset and do bad things and just break your life apart. What does it mean then that He wants us to be broken before Him? Our will's broken? Well, when I think of that, one of the pictures that comes to mind is a horse. Many of you ride horseback. I see pictures on your Instagram. I think even Bradley. Is Bradley riding a horse right now? Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> Tanya and Boris's son Bradley is already learning to ride horses. And I know many of you have done that. Horseback riding and different things. Do you know that you can't just go, let's say to the plains of America, and find, I don't know what you call them, a herd, a pack of wild horses. You can't just grab one and then hop on its back and expect it to do whatever you want it to do. Because that horse is wild at heart. And it doesn't know what it's like to just not run wherever it wants to go. And the last thing it wants is for somebody like you or me to sit on its back. What will a horse do? If you try that, it will buck you off. People have died. People have broken their necks and become paralyzed because of such things. What needs to happen to that horse? Well, they call it, the horse needs to be broken. Its will needs to be broken. Because you don't have to teach a horse to run and gallop and go wherever it wants. You don't have to teach it to do that. What you have to teach it to do is to stop, settle down, and listen to my commands. And when a horse is finally able to do that, they put the reins over him, but they put the bit in its mouth. It learns to have somebody sitting on it 
slowly but surely it'll begin listening to the commands of the one who sits upon it. And when it listens, its own will has been broken under the authority of the one who sits on it. You get that picture? Now in the Bible, there's a story like this. Do you remember Jesus came into Jerusalem for the last time? And he came riding on a donkey with the donkey's young, the colt, the young colt. And it's probably so that he rode on both of them coming in. But he told his disciples, go into the city and find a donkey tied up with its colt and bring them to me. And if somebody asks you, what are you doing? Just tell them, the Lord has need of them. And so the two disciples went and got this donkey and the colt, and they brought it to Jesus. Now they laid clothes on both of these animals, and maybe just before Jesus was about to hop on, I wonder if somebody said, but Jesus, this is a young colt. It doesn't know what it's like to have somebody sitting on it. You may not want to do that, Jesus, because you don't know what this thing might do. But what did Jesus do? He sat upon that young colt. And then what did the colt do? Whatever Jesus commanded it to do. I don't know how, but somehow that beast knew this isn't just a man sitting on me. This is the creator of the world who's sitting on my back. And that young colt was brought into submission under the authority of the Lord who sat upon it. And that young colt rode Jesus into Jerusalem. Now in the Bible many times, like in the Old Testament, God says, my people are a stiff-necked people. What does that mean? It means that you just don't want to do what He says. It's like a donkey that you have tied with its reins and you're trying to pull it to go this way, but it refuses because they're stubborn animals. They don't want to be told what to do. They don't want to follow their master. And just like that donkey, God says, yeah, my people, they are stiff-necked and they don't want to listen. My dad told me one time, in fact, he often used to say, as Christians, what we all need is for Jesus to sit on us so that we will learn He is the Lord, that He is in charge, and we are to submit ourselves to Him. That is a picture of meekness. So again, who are the meek? Who are the meek? Those whose will has been broken under the authority of the Lord Jesus. No longer do we want to run and just do our own thing, fulfill our own passions or lusts in life. We want His will to be done in our lives. Meekness is coming under that submission under the Lord and saying, Lord, Your will be done, not mine. Now the natural man or woman without Christ is often selfish and greedy, often violent, and man has the ability to bring such destruction to other people, don't they? 
not only by the works of their hands, but even by the words of their mouths. I've met so many young people whose lives were shattered, not because a hand slapped them, but because nasty words were said about them, and it really scarred them deep inside their hearts. Man can be so destructive. And throughout all of human history, we've seen what man can do. We've seen what man has done. Look at all the wars that have been fought. Just in the last hundred years or so, we've had two world wars and countless other wars. Millions and millions upon millions of people have perished in war. Today, I just read an article that said right now in the world there are enough nuclear bombs to obliterate the entire earth in one moment. They say that the bomb that dropped many years ago on Hiroshima, Japan, today with all the nuclear power we have, we could reproduce 400,000 more Hiroshima bombs or the devastation that that one bomb caused. That's what man does. And we don't just have to look at it on grand scale, but we see every day in the news or read in the papers how a man or a woman can abuse children, hurt them, destroy their lives. The earth is filled with violence and selfishness and greed. People walk all over other people just to get to where they want to go. And there's no concern about one another. You know, if it wasn't for God's restraining hand, I do believe we would have destroyed ourselves a long time ago. And maybe that brings up another picture. At least that comes to my mind when I think of meekness. Consider the ocean. The ocean is powerful. Great force within the ocean. And it is able to do such destruction, isn't it? I mean, in the last couple of decades, we've seen what the ocean can do. There's such power in the waves and in the currents and in the tides. But how often, at least my family, we've gone to the beach somewhere, and I've held each of my little girls by their hands, and we walk slowly down the shore and just wait. And they look out at that powerful ocean, rocking back and forth, making all kinds of noises, and then the waves come and begin to crash upon the shore. And after all that noise, the water comes up the shore. It reaches my little girl's toes and just simply touches it and then goes back into the waters again. That ocean is able to do such destruction and yet its power is harnessed. Its power is controlled. God spoke to the oceans when he created them and he said, you shall come this far and no further. And the oceans still obey those commands. And how often have we gone just to let that powerful water come and touch your toes with that cold water and then we hear our girls scream because it's so cold sometimes. Such gentleness that can come out of a chaotic thing. And it's the same with us. Before Christ, we were a chaotic people and able to bring chaos in the world. 
But when the authority of the Lord came upon our life, He brought control and calm and peace. If we were animals, it's almost like He tamed us to listen to what He says in our life. The meek are broken before the Lord, and the meek trust in the Lord. And if or when they are mistreated by others, they learn not to respond in aggression or with feelings of ill will toward others. You see, because the meek, because they know that the Lord is Lord over me and He's in control of what comes in and out of my life, He has to permit all my ways. He directs my paths in life. The meek understand that all we receive in life comes from His hand. And therefore, we will rejoice and be glad. Whether it's blessing or it is trial, if it comes from our Lord, we trust in Him. And in the blessing, we will learn to be humble. And in a time of trial, we will learn to be patient. That is meekness. And the one who is meek does not seek to return evil for evil. Those who are meek don't seek to get revenge on someone else who has harmed you or hurt you in life. Consider Moses in the Old Testament. Moses, who was called in the Bible the meekest man on earth. Do you know Moses, of all the great things he did for God and all the great things God did through him, how many times did the people complain about Moses? How many times did they hate Moses? Didn't trust in Moses. They were angry with him often. And it got to the point where they were ready to stone him and raise up a new leader. They wanted him dead. And Aaron and Joshua. And Moses, the meekest man on earth, he didn't respond in anger, frustration. He didn't take revenge. Do you know what he did? He ran to God, fell on his face, and prayed for those people. That's meekness. What about Jesus? Yes, Moses was the meekest man on earth until Jesus came. Jesus came submitting to the Father's will. Everything he did, he did to please his Father. Everything he did was to fulfill his Father's will. He perfectly submitted himself. Now he has omnipotent power, and yet he was brought into submission to his Father. Do you know that when Jesus was arrested, and Peter was there with him, of course the disciples were there, Peter took out a sword and cut a man's ear off. And Jesus rebuked him for doing that. And he healed that soldier, put the ear back on. But he said to Peter, Peter, don't you know that if I pray to the Father right now, he would send 12 legions of angels to come and rescue me. 12 legions of angels. That's more than 70,000 angels. That Jesus could have just simply given one word and they would have come down in the full wrath of God and they would have made an end 
to this earth. In the Old Testament, one angel slaughtered 185,000 soldiers that came against Israel. What could 70,000 angels do? They would have destroyed the whole earth. But Jesus never called them. They watched from heaven as he was arrested and mocked and beaten. And then they scourged him. And then they led him to a place called Calvary of Golgotha and they laid him upon a cross. And every angel looking from heaven at that moment probably put their hand on their sword and began to draw it, just waiting for the word to come. Call us and we'll come and save you. And as they nailed Jesus to the cross, that call never came. Instead, the angels heard something so wonderful. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I think that took the breath away from every angel who was watching the beloved Son of God. Jesus was perfect in meekness. The Bible says he was led, led as a lamb to the slaughter, and he never even opened his mouth. Not one complaint. I was so pleased this past week because one of my brothers in Christ sent me a text. He was having some difficulty at work, and people were doing things that were not right, and they were doing things against him. And he couldn't figure out why. But he texted me, and he just simply said two things. Number one, pray for me. Number two, can you give me something from the Bible that will encourage me to get through this? He said, because I know that if I fight against them, it's just going to make things worse. What I need is the wisdom of God. And so I just began to share some thoughts with him, and finally a verse came to mind, and I sent that to him. And then the whole week went by, and I asked him just last night, I believe, how did things go this week at work? And he said, wonderful. God has helped me, and God is making everything better. There's still more to do, but I'm patient, and I've learned to be calm. And when I read that, I thought, there's a man that is learning to be meek. There's a man that knows Jesus is my Lord. He is in charge of me and all that I go through. So instead of complaining and trying to fight, I will submit myself to my Lord. I will be quiet and allow him to work on my behalf. Praise God. Now you might ask yourself, if I am meek and humble and gentle, won't people take advantage of me? I've heard many people ask that question. If I am meek, won't I be taken advantage of by people who are up to no good? Well, I'm sure people will attempt to do that, yes. So, of course, every relationship we are involved with, we need to have wisdom about those we allow into our lives and the things that we get involved with. But I'm sure somebody will take advantage of your gentleness and meekness. But remember this. In the Old Testament, Abraham and Lot. Abraham and Lot, their people were fighting with each other. Abraham was the uncle. Lot was the nephew. Abraham was the one called by God, and Lot just sort of followed along with him. But when fighting began to, between their two people groups, Abraham 
humbled himself and said to his nephew, look all over the land and pick whatever area you want to live in. It would be better for us to separate and have distance. Otherwise, we're going to keep on fighting. And so Lot, I wonder, in his mind he may have been thinking, ah, I can take advantage of this opportunity. My, my uncle who's meek and gentle and humble, I can take advantage of that and pick whatever wonderful, prosperous place I can imagine. So Lot looked and he found a, such a place, beautiful to behold, green grass, plenty of water. It reminded him of all the luscious land of Egypt. It was called Sodom and Gomorrah. And Lot chose what he thought was the best. Perhaps he took advantage of his uncle and he went to that place. Well, we all know what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah, don't we? God destroyed those cities because of the wickedness that was there. But the point is, in that moment of deciding, Lot didn't know that evil was lurking in Sodom, and neither did Abraham. But God knew. And in God's sovereign love over Abraham, the one who was meek, God chose to bless that one who humbled himself and didn't allow Abraham to take such a land. So there may be people who try to take advantage of you in life, but trust in the Lord. He will bless you in all your ways and lead you into green pastures as he has promised. People may take advantage of you, but the Lord will have his way and he will bless you in life. We trust in him. How do we learn to become meek? It starts by confessing that Jesus is Lord. And we learn to be meek by doing what Jesus says. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle or meek and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, when we picture the Lord over our life and we are brought into submission under Him, the picture is not we are under His feet and He is stomping us into the ground. No, the picture here that He gives is that He will yoke Himself with us. As two oxen plow the field yoked together, the Lord takes His yoke and He yokes us side by side with Him. And we walk in life together with him. And he says, learn from me. Learn from me. Come and know me. Grow in your relationship with me. Read the scriptures. They reveal who I am. Trust in me. And in your learning, I will teach you to be like me. And so there we are, yoked together with Christ. Each of you. And you look before you and you see a great land that's ready to be plowed. And Jesus says, come, we will walk together. And we plow the fields of life together with Christ. And when you look behind you, you will see the great fruit and harvest that the two of you are producing together. Now that yoke, Jesus promises, it is easy and it is light. 
because he's the one that carries the burden in life. All we do is submit ourselves to the Lord and walk with him. There's where we find meekness. And number two, why are they blessed? Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, before we consider the answer to this question, why are they blessed, can I have you turn to a portion of Scripture? I'm not going to put it on the screen. I just want you to turn to it. We're going to read a few verses from Psalm 37. And I want to encourage you when you go home this week, throughout this week, I want you to devotionally read Psalm 37. Read it little by little. Spread it out through the week because it is a wonderful parallel of everything we're talking about here today. And it will re reveal even more to you when you read it. I promise you, if you read it devotionally this week, the Lord will bless you. I promise. But let's just take a look at a portion of it. In the beginning it says, do not fret. Don't be worried about. Don't have anxiety over these things. Don't be upset because of evildoers. Nor be envious, envious of the works of iniquity. Don't look at other people in life outside of the church or in the church and say, oh, I wish I had what they had. But let's go to verse 7. I'm going to read verse 7 to 11. This is really, truly, I, I think, the heart of the whole psalm. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of Him who prospers in His way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait on the Lord shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. So here Psalm 37 paints two pictures, two people, the wicked man and the meek man, the wicked woman or the meek woman. And David is telling us, do not look at the wicked and wish you had what they had. Don't look upon them and say, why God do they prosper in life when I suffer in life? Do you know someone in your life who is unfair, unkind, not truthful, arrogant, and yet it seems as though they are so prosperous? It seems as though they succeed in life. And when you see those things, you might be tempted to give up on all this gentleness talk and say as they say it's not fair that I struggle in life while the wicked seem to flourish forget it I'll start thinking for myself and do whatever I have to do to get ahead 
If you ever felt, or if you have ever thought that way, or if you do feel or think that way, then you are just as short-sighted as the wicked are. You're only looking at this life we now live. You're only looking at yourself for the next 70 or 80 years. What you are not realizing is that life goes on for eternity afterward. And so while we see the wicked in the world and they seem to be flourishing, what does all that mean for all eternity? The meek trust in the Lord. Therefore, they are satisfied by Him. They are satisfied by the lot that they have been given in life, however great or small that it is, because they know Jesus is Lord, and He's in charge, and He knows how to take care of my life. I am content with the Lord. And the meek, they also trust in the Lord's promise for a day that is coming soon. Because you see, in this Psalm 37, it's speaking of a future day. We believe that soon Jesus is returning. But we also believe that the first appearance of Christ is not going to be coming down to the earth. The Bible says that there will be a, a trumpet call and the dead in Christ will rise and those who remain shall be caught up to gather with them in the clouds. So in the rapture of the church, Jesus is coming to the clouds and we'll meet him there and he'll take us to heaven. And I believe for seven years. In that coming of the Lord, he is coming for his saints. And then on earth for seven years, there will be great tribulation. Days that the world has never seen before. Horrors on the earth that nobody has ever witnessed before. And when the seven, day, seven years are complete, it is the second coming of Jesus Christ. John says, Behold, I saw a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True. With righteousness he judges and he makes war. He's coming for battle. And on his body, on his thigh, the name is written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And the Bible says that when Jesus is charging out of heaven, all the saints are with him. So in the rapture, he's coming for his saints. But in the second coming of Christ, he's coming with his saints. And then he will step foot on this earth and usher in the thousand-year reign of his kingdom on the earth. And he will rule for a thousand years. He will physically, the man of heaven, will be the glorious man upon earth. Jesus, ruling and reigning. And the Bible says, and we will reign with him here on the earth. And in that day, we shall inherit the entire earth. And I believe not only this globe, but every galaxy in the universe is our inheritance as the saints of the Lord. And at the end of Revelation, God says, God says, he who overcomes, you shall inherit all things. What does that mean? 
all the glories God has in store for here on the earth when Jesus comes again, and all the glories of eternity in the new heavens and the new, and the new earth, all things are your inheritance. And in that day, the Bible says, the wicked shall not be found anymore. The wicked will have no place on the earth, but the righteous will never be removed. So what is the blessing for those who are meek? The earth shall be our inheritance. All the earth, all the worlds, the globe, the galaxies, and the glory of God will be our experience forever and ever. So don't look on someone who's so proud today of their riches because tomorrow it'll all be gone and that wicked man or woman will perish from the face of the earth. But we the righteous shall never be moved. Amen? What a hope we have in Jesus, not only for today, but for the future. Brother Jesse and musicians, would you come? So what determines whether you will be blessed with the inheritance of heaven, the inheritance of all things, what determines whether you will be blessed or you will perish? It's all based on your acknowledgement that Jesus is Lord and you humble yourself before your King and Lord and Master. Today the wicked live for the lusts of the earth, and tomorrow they shall perish. But the meek live for the Lord of heaven today, and tomorrow the earth is ours. Amen? Amen. Can we all stand together? Sing a song that reminds us once again that we serve a risen Savior. And as we sing that, let's give glory to our Lord. And let's come with an attitude of submission to our Lord. Praise God. <laughs>